So in Houston, I'm John Herter. Tuesday, the 20th day of September. Great as always to have you along, everybody. In a nutshell, from the experts, it's a virtual networking accelerator helping leaders across industries connect very quickly in a brief, moderated, interactive show format. It's like a TED Talk with interactive discussion. So what's in it for you? Promise if all goes well, curiosity is sparked, new ideas accelerate action, and you may have helped yourself or someone else solve a problem, make a connection, reach the opportunity faster. Today, you are on the Energy Transition Channel, created in partnership with the Endeavor Institute. Making authentic connections and networks with stakeholders in the energy transition community has never been more important to your business and essential to reaching a low carbon sustainable energy future together. Please connect and learn more at FTE.network. You'll be glad that you did. Folks, help me welcome our guest expert, Nick Welch. Nick is ESG and energy transition strategist with Endeavor Management, who has spent most of his career helping organizations and leaders navigate an ever-changing and more challenging external environment around the world, political, societal, economic, to achieve their goals. An expert on the topic, Nick has had senior roles with Shell, Noble Energy, the Global Carbon Capture Institute, and the United Kingdom government. Nick, great to have you kick off the Energy Transition Channel today and looking forward to see where the group takes the conversation. Over to you. Uh, thanks, John. And uh, it's great to be on the FTE show with the group today. Um, one of the enduring challenges I've worked on is managing expectations. Certainly the expectations of uh, stakeholders, but increasingly I realize those of uh, uh, leaders in organizations as well. And helping organizations steer their way through sometimes irreconcilable competing expectations. And to me, this is a key part of what is termed ESG, environmental, social and governance. Now, the terminology of ESG may be relatively new to some, and uh, some things claimed in its name, for example, in the investment and fund management world may well be questionable or maybe a work in progress. But to me, ESG at its essence is about organizations managing risks and externalities related to their activities and demonstrating responsible business conduct, whether to investors or others. Now, debating and agreeing on what constitutes responsible business conduct is a very old and thorny issue, but one that is, I think you'll know, is becoming far more acute for organizations and individuals. So what I plan to convey today is my approach and high level principles for navigating competing external expectations, how leaders as individuals might think about confronting what can be yawning gaps on particular topics. And one of the most obvious examples, of course, relates to climate and the energy transition. Now, this transition is often accurately framed around what is needed from public policy, technology and finance. Um, and I'm not going to talk about those three topics really today. I, I could do. But uh, what I'm interested in is what about the human and leadership dimension of these sorts of dilemmas? You know, many dedicated and talented professionals, some with decades contributing to amazing achievements, are confronted with the take on their lives, education, training, work and achievements. And skills and expertise often honed in highly technical disciplines 
don't necessarily lend themselves to navigating the stormy and emotional seas of stakeholder perspectives and demands. Now, you can, as a leader, certainly try to detach your personal self from your role in an organization. Um, but there's a lot of pressure in the other direction from a number of sources. So anyway, maybe there are lessons for our own responses as individuals, the way in which organizations look to navigate shifting expectations. Uh, and let me say at the outset, you know, I appreciate there are many legitimate ways for organizations and people at different stages of their lives, how they respond and work through these challenges. It's not one size fits all, it's just a perspective. So I really got into my stride on this journey myself when I left um, the UK government, which John said I'd worked for and joined Shell. And I'd worked with the company a little bit inside government uh, on their decommissioning plans for a vast offshore storage structure, the Brent Spa. It was big, 400 feet tall and 93 foot diameter. And the decommissioning plan the company had was technically, economically, from a safety standpoint and through one lens, environmentally at least, sound, and it had government approval. However, sinking it in the North Sea was not viewed by all as socially acceptable. And after a major campaign, the company backed down. Now, this at the same time as they were under pressure for alleged complicity with actions by the government in Nigeria. So in summary, the company was looking like it was losing its social, if not its uh, government license to operate. In fact, it sort of kind of lost its decommissioning license. Um, but what I experienced there when I joined was an organization with a largely justifiable pride in its achievements. There was a force for good in the world, technically expert, doing amazing things and wondering what had gone wrong. But there was an alternative view, whether in the media, in people's neighborhoods, schools and sports clubs, and from some elected officials. And unsurprisingly, some leaders and employees reacted very defensively. People were hurt, their life's work and value was crumbling around them. Some felt bitter. And there were certainly divisions of opinion at a strategic level about how to respond. So I don't know whether this sounds familiar to people. There are many other examples of this type of experience in various industries and indeed other types of institutions. And this experience set that company and many others on a journey to better understand, navigate and address societal expectations in order to deliver long term business success. So what I've done in my work is, is I've taken and applied those lessons and integrated them uh, in my career. And I have to say, it's not always been a smooth ride. Um, I've seen time and again how hurt feelings, dare I say, egos can get in the way of figuring out a smart path forward for an organization in its responses, um, you know, on behalf of the company's owners and employees on any number of uh, environmental or uh, social and governance related uh, topics, not least climate change. And, you know, from time to time, unsurprisingly, some leaders and others can be defensive. And I think people who are targeted in this way could be forgiven for feeling uh, for feeling victimized at times. And sometimes, on the other hand, companies take their eye off other priorities while focusing on the last reputational crisis, taking their eye off the ball. I've also witnessed organizations under fresh leadership um, tear up well-proven policies and programs only to find in the next reputational firestorm they've had to reintroduce them. Some organizations just batten down the hatches and plow on. And I think some companies, both very large and small, you, you know, you can get away with that for a while. But I think the current focus 
by impactful stakeholders and large investors alike on managing climate risk has caught up with even the largest of US oil and gas companies. It shouldn't be a surprise. These pressures have been around for a long time. But companies and financial institutions that have had some focus on the ESG matters are criticized for greenwash on the one hand and for selling out to activists on the other. Divisions are abound over goals such as net gear at uh, zero and uh, gear would be an interesting idea, wouldn't it? And pathways to get there. Um, companies' support for new regulations that make sense for their current business can enrage some in politics, unsurprisingly, opposed to that sort of regulation. And CEOs are frequently condemned these days for apparently failing to adhere to the view, the supposed orthodoxy, that the sole purpose of a company is to maximise profit. Now, in truth, I think many CEOs have judged that long-term profit maximization can only be achieved by successfully navigating these risks. And finally, I would say a recent example that I've watched with some amusement as a um, political scientist and so on is the scorn and leverage applied by some state treasurers and other political figures to financial institutions res with respect to their criteria for investments in fossil fuels. Um, now, I well understand the politics around all of this, but it has made me chuckle, and it's somewhat ironic that some of this even comes from officials in Florida who are not keen on countenancing oil and gas developments off their own coastline. And I would imagine an investor in the early part of the 20th century might have been wise to consider the future market for horse-drawn carriages and coaches at the time. Anyway, it's a, it's a challenging world to negotiate, navigate. So how should an organization that finds itself perhaps caught unawares, perhaps not, with differing expectations respond to an issue that provokes strong feelings? So I'm not here going to lay out a, decent, de a detailed management plan or framework for managing ESG issues, from integration within enterprise risk management to engaging with investors or from social impact assessments to reporting guidelines. I'm happy to connect about that um, separately. And similarly, I'm not focusing on specific business strategies companies in a given sector might pursue. But there are a few high level principles and steps that I would counsel. And, you know, I don't view these as revolutionary myself, and they may even see motherhood and apple pie to some of you. But, but I know well from my experience that uh, leaders and others in organizations often, re often recoil from them and certainly don't apply them in practice when the heat's on. So my first three guiding principles um, is one, you know, you need to figure out who and what you are as an organization. Now, we hear a lot about the term purpose these days, and it might turn some people off. And I'm using it not because it's, uh, uh, you know, trendy in some circles, perhaps, and certainly not if it results in the same sort of buzzwords that one hears a lot. But when you're being pulled in one direction or another, criticized for being too ready to respond to an NGO here or to peer pressure there, I think you need a guiding star and you can call that your mission, your values, your purpose. You need something that sort of defines your responses overall. Secondly, and I think this is really critical, you need to be aligned with your team about why you're doing anything at all about um, ESG or the energy transition in particular. Um, is it to get people off my back? Is it because everyone else in my business is doing it? Is it specific investor or client pressure? Or do I see a business opportunity and imperative? But the key thing, I think, is to get your team aligned around a business case. 
the authentic reason for doing it. People otherwise, particularly on this type of uh, topic, have very different mental maps. And then thirdly, um, you need to define, I think, your more specific tactical goal for navigating between opposing pressures. Is it to um, deliver in a laser-focused way long-term success, financial and otherwise? But maybe it's to, you know, you've decided you want to change the world. You want to be liked and be popular or be more politically active. So there's a sort of a tactical level of how you respond to pressures. My own default objective in a company, and as I'm told otherwise, is to avoid getting distracted and hijacked by the interests and agendas of others. I don't want to be a public target or a political football. So agreeing on answers to the above questions, a, a purpose, a business case for action, and a shorter term tactical goal, I think can be best informed by refreshing your understanding of your business environment, the shifting societal context you operate in. And here, I, you know, I have three steps here as well. One, get out of your bubble. Two, listen to those who can affect your success, whether you like it or not. And thirdly, accept the world largely as it is, at least in the first instance, um, not as you'd like it to be. So let's drill down into those a little bit. One, get out of your bubble. I think it's useful to get out of your company bubble. It's difficult to do sometimes. The industry bubble, the industry leaders bubble, even the sector hub, be it Silicon Valley, Wall Street, or, or the energy capital. And let's none of us, including myself, rely on what a few people in a social media feed say is going on. And let's avoid sitting in a windowless meeting room, assuming or wondering what such and such a group is thinking go out and ask and find out. Secondly, listening to those who can affect your success, whether you like it or not. Uh, you know, this is often called stakeholder engagement, but it's about not just broadcasting your views. Listening is an opportunity to get important intelligence. It's not abdicating decision-making, which I sometimes feel people think that it is. It's just putting yourself in someone else's shoes for just a minute. It's a bit of, you know, in the broadest sense, market intelligence. And I know very well that in you know busy organisations, finding the time to do that and having the uh, you know the humility or the the temperament to to do that can be can be tough, particularly when you get some sort of in our own terms maybe irrational perspectives put. Finally, accept the world largely as it is. Um, this is not the council of despair or defeat. We can all control our own responses to the world but I don't think any of us can control the world itself. This is not the first energy transition in history. The motivations might be slightly different, um, but it's been coming for some time. And I, I fully appreciate that whether it's tech companies or oil companies, they have changed the world uh, along with some other industries, but they've done so with the grain of pre-existing, if untapped demand and, and aspirations. Um, so, when you have a, a, a better understanding of the environment you have around you, and obviously some very customer market-focused companies are, are, are better at this than some other types of organizations, then I think you can really start to figure out how to position yourself in it, building on all the things we've talked about above. Um, and here it's largely familiar tools uh, that are used in business and other organizations but I would say it's tools that can seemingly desert us um, when it comes to dealing with this outside world thing. And we stand right in the headlights uh, and, and under a lot of pressure. 
So the the obvious things to be applied here is is a is a SWOT analysis. You know how placed are we really in, for example, the emerging energy transition context? How can we apply our competence and aptitude for producing uh, horse-drawn carriages now, looking forward to the future? Or, for example, how oil and gas companies might repurpose some of their assets for different uh, different uses? You know, a tool that's used a great deal. I, I've seen it noticeably absent in some discussions with these major sort of transitions going. So let's go back to basics. And again, you know, people then define a strategy an action plan and, and implementation, nothing revolutionary or new in that. But I think in this context, it's particularly useful to look for common ground or shared interest, especially in what might be new or unfamiliar territory to you. Unusual allies can be very good third party advocates and teaming, with up, uh, teaming up with them is not weakness, it's, uh, it's actually strength. And thirdly, I think it's really important to have a narrative or an articulation of the strategy or even just an elevator speech that um, explains what you're doing both for internal and external audiences. It goes back to the point I was talking about earlier on about uh, alignment. And here I think it's really important to take action and not credit. So don't set yourself up for failure by creating an expectation gap of your own making between what you say and what you either plan to do or what you are actually doing. So take action and not credit. Now, in my experience, if you follow those sort of high level principles with all the more detailed pieces underneath, um, there's a good chance you can figure out and describe with credibility and understand yourself, your own positioning and role in, in any sort of emerging world. Now, I've recently been working with two companies that can be defined in some ways as oil and gas startups. And this rather surprises many. Um, a former federal official and a head of a well-known environmental NGO said to me, I thought we were getting out of oil and gas. But having gone through this process and, and in particular thinking about how to articulate the role, it has enabled me to set out with strong conviction the company's roles in helping deliver an orderly energy transition. So I have a recent example of applying this and, and I've, I've been pleased with how that's worked. Now I pondered at the outset how any of this might translate to us as individuals as opposed to us in the professional realm. Uh, all I can say for myself is that I want to define both my legacy and my future myself and not have someone else uh, define it for me. And when my kids ask me, uh, Daddy, what did you do about the climate crisis or the energy transition? Um, and they're getting prompted about this at school these days already. So I want a compelling and credible answer to that. And I've certainly found that by applying those um, principles I've been talking about, I am better equipped to provide one. That's just me. So what would be the key takeouts here? I think take the time to get out of where, what you're doing to understand what's going on in the world, whether it's on the energy transition or anything else. Define your position and who you are in that world. Sure, be ready to adjust to changing circumstances. And three, and finally, be able to articulate your role and position in clear and compelling terms. So thank you. And I'm curious about your experiences in organizations grappling with these issues and, uh, and as an individual. Thanks, Nick. So I just put uh, basically what Nick said, this is the group discussion question. 
what are your experiences in organizations or as an individual navigating this? And uh, so just uh, when you have something to say, please introduce yourself briefly. You can also raise your hand if you want to do it that way. And if I call on you, you're also welcome to say pass because you just want to listen in. And of course, the chat box is open for any additional comments between each other. So with that, um, Jeff or Kathy, do either of you, one of you guys want to share your take on what Nick has said and your experience? Sure, I'll jump in real quick. Uh, Jeff Graves with Target Resources. Uh, I run our uh, Low Carbon Energy Ventures Group, um, which we formed back in January this year. <clears throat> so I think our, our major challenge is to figure out who we, who we want to be in this space, um, what our goals are. We're, uh, by nature, we're not public with a lot of things. Um, so I would tell you we haven't made commitments to be net zero. Um, we, are, we are an energy company. We're focused on profit. Um, but we don't want to ignore um, energy transition. So I think our main goals right now are to become educated. Um, to, to your point, to see the world the way it is, right? So uh, we heard a lot of talk about fossil fuels um, going away and, and the pace at which they might go away. Uh, we were a little bit skeptical of that. I think we've seen over in Europe um, maybe the impact of uh, trying to get rid of them too quickly and to transition too quickly. So we're trying to be thoughtful about how we participate in the space. Um, and I, I don't think we're doing this to, to just answer questions or, or due to peer pressure. Um, so I think we do see a meaningful future. Our mandate in our group is to improve our own carbon footprint, but also look for business opportunities. So, and, and I think we see those. We see um, either due to subsidies or due to interest by our customers uh, that there is a good, a good place for us to participate uh, in energy transition. Uh, but we're being thoughtful about it. We're not trying to rush into it. Thanks, Jeff. Anybody comment on that? If not, uh, then let's move over. Kathy, do you have uh, some experience you'd like to share or some comments to that? Hi, uh, nice to meet you guys and nice to be here. Thank you, Nick. That was a great talk. Appreciate hearing from you. Um, I am uh, sort of in transition, in the energy transition. Um, a lot of technical background in the drilling world and um, also in the environmental world and have been trying to sort of marry the two and decide where I could kind of fit into a niche within different places. So I've spent most of my career uh, consulting internationally. I've lived all over the world. And so um, I went to business school a couple of years back and uh, coming out of business school, I foresaw the energy transition as an area I wanted to be in. So I'm still actually trying to educate myself and get into the zone. Um, I've had some discussions with Nick and different folks over at Endeavor. Um, actually spoke to lots of different companies in town and I'm just kind of learning um, and, and transitioning and, um, you know, just 
here to learn mostly and uh, see where I can lend a hand or uh, apply my expertise as you as needed. Thanks. You got it. Um, who's next? Who would like to share? Elliot, can you? Uh, what's on your mind and on this topic, which you know pretty well? Uh, hi, John. Hi, all. Um, uh, I'm uh, currently actually in uh, the midst of my own energy transition. I was formerly with um, a fairly significant publicly traded oil and gas company and was helping them manage <clears throat> through the early and mid stages of um, investor expectations and stakeholder expectations around uh, climate engagement and energy transition. Um, and so we went through the seven stages of grief that you do. Uh, you know, we were uh, um, somewhat skeptical, resistant, um, uh, and then ultimately, um, I think found our space in uh, the energy transition uh, and came to embrace that as an important part of uh, both our investment strategy and um, um, the stakeholder expectations um, and began to exploit that to the point that it actually became um, a value added part of the enterprise. Uh, and so it was um, a very uh, interesting evolution uh, as we went through those seven stages of grief. Um, uh, and, uh, and now that I think the company, you know, um, embraces the challenges of climate change. Um, uh, its CEO uh, certainly uh, believes that action is necessary in order to reduce uh, environmental burdens um, associated not just with the energy industry, but with, um, you know, the human consumption of resources. Um, and uh, yet at the same time recognizes the essential need for a variety of sources of energy, including fossil fuels. And we've seen that you know, recently played out in, in Europe and elsewhere. Um, uh, I left that company uh, a little over a year ago uh, and recently started with a company that is focused on uh, climate initiatives um, and environmental um, the reduction of environmental burdens. Um, in the form of uh, environmental commodities in the uh, advisory services and helping people position them, companies position themselves um, uh, in the creation of emissions reductions of a variety of kinds, uh, and then commoditizing those emissions reductions, um, mostly in voluntary markets, but also in markets where there are uh, compliance requirements or expectations and commodities like climate credits uh, or, um, emissions reductions are traded, uh, such as uh, California or the Western Climate Initiatives or uh, some of the European markets. And so uh, I, I evolved with that journey through my prior company and have now sort of landed myself uh, in the middle of uh, that transition economy, if you will. Uh, and uh, it's been an interesting evolution, you know, um, uh, and uh, I'd like to say I'm in the later stages of, uh, of uh, the grief process, um, you know, and hopefully that we're uh, adding value to um, the energy transition, but also, you know, adding value to um, the mitigation of environmental impacts. Interesting. Any questions for Elliot? 
Uh, Roger, you're coming from a different part of the business. Would you mind kind of sharing your perspective on this? Got to unmute yourself. You got to unmute yourself, sorry. At least I'm consistently muted, right? Mm, long journey, born Swede, ABB for two decades, did something else for many years and took over in global one and a half year ago. And I think it's two aspects in my view. One is obviously we are, we are, we are building uh, plants to produce renewable diesel and stuff and all that. So that's one aspect. The other one is uh, the, the EGS aspect. And I think it's more, why I'm here is more, not sure how we're going to position ourselves in, in both corners. So I don't know, I could talk about both or I could pick one or I could shut up. So you, you tell me what you think. We, we, I no, I, I think the, the whole point here is just pick one that you're struggling with and just briefly put it out there and see if there's any feedback from the group. We are a we are a company for profit, right? So so that will come first. Maybe you shouldn't say that, but that it will. I think the disconnect I have, if we're not going to switch, if we take what's it, let's be specific. We claiming as a nation we're going to replace thirty percent of all jet fuel with stuff by twenty thirty. When you listen to people, maybe you take the energy to go to a conference somewhere. It looks almost experimental to me. What is going on? Experimental for me is either small size plants, maybe great ideas, but will not make a difference. I think the other one is uh, we're dealing with a bunch of developers. I hope I don't insult anybody on this call, but it takes a lot to build. Let's say one of these plants is 600 million. It, it, takes, it, it takes a lot of things to be right. And I struggle more from a private point of view to see that if there is now 120 leads in our funnel, who will really, really succeed with this? We spent some good time on, on uh, trying to develop 16 criteria, which we, which we then used to try to high, high grade the 120 leads we have. Maybe good. I think if you look at the result, still it's very shaky, the funnel, to bring something, again, company for profits, obviously, Doing some engineering will not really pay the bills in the end. We need to get to somebody gets to FID. So I guess it's so in summary that this got windy, but so if we have this EGS plan, the big plan that we're gonna save the planet, which as a born Sweden is there to my heart. But then when I see what we're really doing, it's a huge gap in my mind, knowing we are here so soon it would be 23, right? And we are seven years away from 30. There's no way, no way we are lying. So I don't know. Okay. That's well, or depressing. So I'll yeah. shut up. No, no, thanks, Roger. Well, let's uh, move over to Anne Marie. She's with Pacific Gas and Electric. Anne Marie, what's your, what's your take on this? Well, I come from this, I come at this from a completely different mindset, right? Um, I'm right now leading an effort on affordability. Um, in the electric area. And when I think about this, I really think about this in a couple of different ways. Um, I'm, I'm personally a little worried. I can't speak for the company, but I can, I can tell you my personal experience sitting in and listening to a lot of people that are smarter than I am um, that are grid operators, right? 
Um, I'm a little worried about the speed at which we're trying to deploy this and how this is going to impact our ratepayers and um, general energy and security across the globe. Um, but, you know, definitely here in the US and, and in California in particular, um, we have a unique challenge in California in that we've got a lot of wildfires. Um, there's a lot of effort focused around system hardening right now. Um, couple that with an aging infrastructure, um, the, you know, the companies struggling with, you know, coming out of bankruptcy. Um, and now you've got new legislation that came out in the state of California for, you know, switching to an exponential increase of EVs that's going to be impacting capacity on the grid by 2035. Um, and when you think about all of what is needed, the investments that are needed to meet the demand that is coming, as well as, um, you know, shifting to renewables, um, it, it's a little concerning for me. How do we do that in a way that is not going to break our ratepayers and our communities um, with utility bills? I, I can only speak for my particular area, but I know that the average customer in my area where I live in the Bay Area is paying about $500 a month for their electric bill if they don't have solar. Um, so I come from this looking at it a little bit differently. And I, I must say, like I was looking at Cal ISO's report right now. Um, Cal ISO is reporting out that we have 55% renewables serving the current demand. Um, I, I can't remember what I was looking at yesterday, but I think the year to date average is around 40% when you average everything all out across uh, demand versus capacity and what's being produced. Um, so I think we have a long way to go. And I'm a little concerned about some of the legislation that we're seeing get passed right now and, and how we're going to meet that. Any questions for the group around that? Well, I guess I guess what I want to know is, you know, are you guys seeing similar concerns in your area? And, and what are your thoughts or ideas around how we can do this together in an affordable manner? How do we start idea sharing um, and, and think about, gosh, look at our, our asset management plans and our capital investments and start asking ourselves, like, are we making the right investments in order to meet both um, existing state of, of the grid as well as marching towards um, the reduction of, of environmental burden when it comes to power generation and um, demand versus capacity? Anybody have some feedback to that? <clears throat> Excuse me. Any experience on, on idea sharing forums that are that could be useful in this circumstance? Well, I, I didn't. I'd let somebody else have a go. Yeah, didn't say I've got the thought, but. Uh... Oh uh, yeah, Nick. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, I was just going to empathize. Really, I. I I certainly uh, feel the stress of um, uh, ambitions exceeding our grasp, um, and uh, it, it can seem overwhelming. Um, and you, know, you look for partners, uh, Europe certainly seems strongly guided by government mandates, um, and uh, that has forced a more rapid transition in some ways. And I think we're starting to see uh, similar kinds of pressures uh, now here in the U.S., um, both with 
uh, efforts to try to create mandates, but also incentives, incentives to encourage investment that um, is perceived to be somehow speeding along the transition. Um, and, and, you know, it used to be um, 10 years ago that my company would not really pay much attention to government incentives. That, uh, you know, our, our revenue was independent of that. Um, but now those incentives are large enough that they actually do move the needle. And it is helpful to pay closer attention to what the opportunities are that are created through um, government programs that are trying to speed that transition in a variety of ways. And you may or may not embrace the transition, but you can't deny the opportunity that is created by these incentives and the magnitude of those. And so I just, you know, I recommend to you all that um, uh, you follow the market. The market um, is uh, becoming more like Europe and is following the government in some ways. So I'll just note that. That's a that's a really good point, um, and it's definitely something I've brought up with our internal um, business finance capital accounting groups as as far as figuring out how we can be more nimble and flexible as an organization, and looking into um, government incentive programs um, to fund some of the uh, work that's needed to kind of get us there. It is instead of, relying, instead of relying on traditional methods, right? Right now, you're relying on. Um, FERC and NERC and, and the local PUCs to kind of fund some of those things. Um, that's common practice, right, in the U.S. So um, it, it's time that we start looking at, you know, how do we break the traditional mold of IOUs in the United States and start looking towards those government incentives? I appreciate that feedback. Anything else on that question? Anything that Elliot said or Anne-Marie? If not, then we'll, uh, we're coming against the hour anyhow. So we'll go ahead and uh, Nick ask you if you have any final words. Well, I, I was just reflecting on those, that last uh, discussion. I mean, I think, or that last element, um, it's certainly, you know, you've got to sup with a quite a long spoon about the difference between the claims of what's going on and what is. So, you know, anybody's natural skepticism can be fed uh with that so but in terms of trying to find solutions for these things i think the key thing for me is to ensure that you are um at the table rather than on on the menu and um what i mean by that is that um you know one it's not difficult to be skeptical about the the let some of the level of ambition or where it may be not the level of ambition, but the pace towards it. But that's a bigger societal sort of question. And I think if you position yourself um, as trying to make a contribution consistent with your size within the, within the uh, problem, whether that's in a utility world or environmental services or what have you, um, you know, you can certainly make plans and so on that are consistent with your understanding of how far the market's moved and how far it's gone separate to the sorts of um, claims and so on that are made. But if you position yourself as a, um, as, as a contributor to a solution rather than, and nobody, I'm not, nobody suggesting they were doing it otherwise, rather than as a sort of a naysayer or I told you so, or what have you kind of thing, you've got a better chance of getting, I think, um, Getting a getting a piece of the pie going forward in in uh, 
in those terms, hey, but Nick. also being able to have a voice in the debate. Nick, we've got a question coming in from Stephanie. Stephanie, take it. Yeah, sure. Um, hi, Nick. That was hi, really yeah. great. Um, I've been mulling over everything you said at the very beginning this whole time. So I'm I'm not sure if I have a question in here, but we'll see. <laughs> Um, I really enjoyed your takeaway specifically about, um, you know, how, how we shouldn't be scared to reach out and talk to, you know, even competitors and just l talking and listening to all of those different stakeholders who, who are vital pieces of, of the solution. Um, I, you know, I'm in a different position now, but earlier this year, I was with a, a, a very large oil and gas services company who had um, some very prominent competitors. Uh, and this was something that I think both that company and the competitors were considering, you know, how do you, uh, you know, and I think everybody's kind of touched on this. There is strength in a movement with more people behind it. So how do you stay competitive, I guess, while also figuring out how you can work together and how you can join and, and link platforms potentially um, on these larger, you know, bigger than our company um, problems, like things like the sustainable aviation fuel and stuff that somebody else brought up. Um, you know, one company isn't going to genuinely be able to solve these things. So how do you still compete, but how do you, uh, you know, join forces? Exactly. Well, thank you for that comment. Uh, last uh, 30 seconds, Nick. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you on that because I do have some thoughts on that because people do, people do that without uh, getting into trouble. Well, thanks. Thank you, Nick, very much. Folks, how was the talk and discussion today? Please take the 30-second FT survey that's being dropped in the chat box right now. Today's post-show notes with everybody's contact information and today's expert resources will hit your mailbox a little bit later today. So be sure and take time and connect with each other. Next up on the Energy Transition Channel on October 11th, Dr. Lynn Frostman, VP Sustainability and CSR with Siziki Plasmonics leads interactive discussion on evaluating the potential of deep, that's new deep decarbonization technologies. October 25th, Stephanie Dvorak, VP Sustainability of the Bristow Group, explores how do you influence the right players in your value stream to come along with you for the ride on that sustainability journey. And November 8th, Aditya Singh, CEO of Promethean Energy, is going to engage the group on ideas that responsibly repurpose and put to bed end-of-life offshore oil and gas assets with the lowest carbon footprint possible. Learn more and register on our website at fte.network. Folks, we're out of time. I want to thank you once again, Nick, and all of you for making the time to connect and learn on the Energy Transition Channel. See you next time, guys.